glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com is where you can go to find ways to save money around the clock. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Radius Moment, a follow-up on lending money to family members and friends. And coming up yet later, I talked about it when I was at the Consumer Electronics Show earlier this year, CES. How you take care of your teeth is going through a radical transformation that might hurt your wallet, but certainly help your dental health. I'll fill you in. So on Clark.com, we posted a story recently that has stayed the number one story, the most visited story on our website for day after day after day. And it speaks to a big need in the marketplace. So many people working in jobs where they feel like they're just not getting anywhere, falling behind, not making the money they need to have a decent financial life. And so we posted a story on jobs that you don't have to go to college for, get a four-year degree, that pay a minimum 70000 a year. And that story just really, really struck a chord. The data is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the jobs are pretty arcane, some of them, but I want to start with the number one best-paying job that, in this case, requires that you go to college for two years. And it's to be an air traffic controller. A job that if you take it, you're a controller only till when you're forced to retire at age 55. reason you have to retire is that the job is turbo stressful. But the average wage is $125,000 a year to be an air traffic controller. And again, it does not require college degree. You may find that you are, well, associate is not a bachelor's degree. You may find that it's too stressful for you, so what good's the 125 if you can't handle the stress? But many people can handle it, and you're saving people's lives every single day doing the job. Number two, this is one that is kind of a catch-all, but it only requires a high school diploma being a, someone who works in formal logistics as a manager, what's known as transportation storage or distribution, often referred to as logistics, being a manager in that, average wage, 95000 a year. And then one that you may be surprised about, being a supervisor in a police department. Now, this will vary heavily around the country. So if you work for a low-wage police department, don't start shouting at me. (laughs) But people who are, in fact, first-level managers in a police department, 
earn an average wage of 90 grand. And I know a lot of police departments it would be less than half that. But that's the average around the country. What does it require at most police departments? A high school diploma or a GED. I'm going to mention the others just quickly, and you can see the full list at Clark.com. Being a radiation therapist, airline pilot, there's going to be a huge number of vacancies for airline pilots. A lot of uh, places you're only required to have a high school diploma and your flight training. Working on elevators, uh, being uh, technical workers with communications equipment, nuclear medicine technologist, uh, firefighting supervisors, kind of like the police officer thing, dental hygienists, and transportation inspectors. And finally, signal and track, track switch repairers, typically, obviously, in the railroad industry. But the full list, description of the jobs, what training and education you need, in our story at Clark.com. Again, drawn on Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Gene joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gene. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Gene. You got a question for me that has been troubling a lot of people. Hit me with it. Well, I listened to one of your podcasts recently about insurance. It was very informative. Uh, you made some you. very good points about auto and homeowners. So I decided to reevaluate my homeowner's policy. And I live in the state of Florida, so you know that we have hurricanes and they have a rider uh, dealing with hurricanes. And the deductible, if I remember correctly, on your podcast, you recommended that we try to live with as high a deductible as possible since we're trying to deal with or at times dealing with these catastrophic situations. Don't just use it for everyday ordinary events. Exactly. So my dilemma is uh, on one of the riders, one of the deductibles can go as high as $60,000 for uh, a hurricane disaster situation right now let me explain um for people who don't live in florida this is a problem you should be really happy you don't have to deal with and i had a call (laughs) recently from well i've actually had two calls recently from people dealing with problems buying homeowners coverage in california because the wildfire threat you know both Mm. impossible hurricane wildfire they're both very difficult to put your arms around what the risk level is. And so in Florida, what's referred to as a name storm event triggers a big deductible. And uh, those deductibles for a name storm often are not based on what the regular deductible is that you take. Although it's possible with the insurer you're getting a quote from, it was a ratio based on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Normally, what happens with the Florida hurricane named storm event, so it could be a tropical storm named whatever, is that your deductible is a minimum 5% of the value of your home. Okay. Well, my dilemma is I can make it lower than that if I want to, but if I was to go the max, I would obviously need to dip into my IRA to get the money to cover that 60000 deductible. 
which means I'm pulling money out that could be, you know, making money. Plus, I'd have to pay tax on it because of my age. So I'm really wondering what you think about maxing out that deductible versus, you know, getting it down to a level that I could actually manage from, say, my existing resources. I would do the second. I would I would pay more in premiums each year to leave yourself not exposed to the point that you'd have to start eating into money you save for your retirement. Excellent. So, so in your circumstance, my advice taken at face value would be a terrible idea. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, I was leaning in the direction that you just recommended, but I, I really wanted to uh, run it by you and see what you thought, and perhaps some of your other listeners might benefit from the, the response you gave me. And on the thing with your regular deductible for homeowners insurance, do you have a mortgage or no? Yes, sir, I still do. Your mortgage company may put a restriction on how high a deductible you can have for events involving homeowners insurance outside of a named storm. Okay. So you got to make sure you don't take your deductible above what would be a violation of uh, covenants inside your mortgage. Excellent. Okay, because I'll then this happens to people in Florida who will be shocked by the premiums. So they take a big deductible on their homeowner's insurance. And next thing they know, their mortgage company, the bank, has put what's known as force placed insurance on their home which premiums out at 25 times the premium of real homeowner's insurance. And the lender protects themselves in the language, and they make huge commissions, kickbacks, for putting (laughs) you in force-placed insurance. And so the whole drill is they're taking advantage of people in Florida putting the high deductibles in place. So you got to make sure the deductibles don't violate what's in your mortgage. Got it. I'll check on that. Thanks for that advice as well. I uh, didn't, didn't know to check on that, but I absolutely will. Okay, and it is, a, it is always a interesting adventure trying to buy homeowner's insurance on a coast. It's not just Florida <laughs> anymore. It's uh-huh. up and down the eastern seaboard and the Gulf that it's become a new interesting challenge buying homeowner's insurance. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Paul. Hi, Clark. Um, just want to tell you thank you for what you do. Um, Certainly. You really helped me out in a real rough patch in my life, and it was nice to take my mind off things and listen to your show every day. So, Well, I'm glad I was able to be of service to you. Your life's in a good place now? Yeah, I'm, everything's doing really good now. Um, right. Yeah, I was like right when I got out of college. but um, So I guess my situation is to be 38 in a month, um, no kids, currently engaged. Um, Congratulations. No <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I, have, I have no debt. Um, I almost have 20% down for a home. Um, in California, it's kind of tough, you know, to get that 20, 20%. Um, I currently max out uh, backdoor Roth, and um, <clears throat> within the next year, I calculate I'll be able to max out my 401k. Um, what should I do if I have leftover money to invest? Um, I prefer after-tax dollars. Okay, so um, your wife's situation, is she also financially strong or your what, your future wife? or she, 
she works part time right now, so it's it's mainly um, my salary that we live on. All right. So you've already been saving for a down payment, meaning you've got what's the equivalent of a big rainy day account. I would say yeah. you want to do also the equivalent of a non-deductible IRA uh, um, backdoor Roth for her. Okay. So if she's only got part-time income, she's not able to beef up as much as she could for retirement savings. And the advantage that you get with the Roth money growing tax-free over the years is so valuable. But if she comes into a future marriage with existing IRA money, you have to convert yes. traditional IRA into Roth first, and then you can start doing backdoor Roth for her. But you want to pick up every dollar you can, uh, potentially tax advantage or tax-free money, and that would be why doing the backdoor Roth for her as well would be valuable. Uh, before you're married, if, if you feel like your relationship's really solid, you could help her with that now. And then it doesn't even have to be a backdoor raw. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, the other thing, the, one other thing, if either of you have access to, if you're eligible to do an HSA, a health savings account. Okay. I'm confused about that. Is that, I have an FSA. What, what's the difference? FSA is different. FSA is a flexible spending account. It's something that an employer offers you that covers unreimbursed eligible medical expenses current year and then slightly into the next year um an hsa is your money that stays there for you and can grow for you for unreimbursed medical expenses currently or way into the future the big advantage is when it's way in the future and you have to be in a health plan known as an hsa eligible health plan in order to do an hsa if you were eligible you'd likely know because they would tell you that the health coverage you have is HSA eligible. Today's Clark Rageous moment is kind of a stretch to call it a Clark Rageous moment, but it is something that I really need to have you think about. I've taken so many calls from people who are in a situation where they're asked to co-sign a loan or lend money to a family member or friend. And Bankrate did a survey recently that found that Roughly 60% of us have been asked to do that at one time or another. Of those who've done so, according to the bank rate survey, more than a third have ended up getting hurt with their credit ruined, money lost, or a friendship just absolutely eaten up. And I hear the consequences of it repeatedly from people who've ended up getting hurt. And in a case where you co-sign, oh, I, I had a, a caller recently who co-signed a car loan for someone who was a friend at the time, later not a friend. And the individual with the vehicle stopped paying. He didn't know. Later, he gets hit with a repossession judgment and has to pay for a vehicle that he never benefited from and has his credit ruined for years and years to come because of a repossession now in his credit as a cosigner. Know this, if you lend money to a friend or family member, in your mind you need to think of it as a gift. 
Don't ever do it with the expectation you're going to get paid back. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming to the bank of friend or family. They'd be going to a real bank or credit union. Second, don't ever co-sign a loan unless you can afford to deal with the consequences if the individual you co-sign for chooses not to pay. And by the way, if you ever co-sign, you need to make sure you are aware real time whether the payments are being made and they're being made on time. And if they're not, you need to step in and make those payments because you are fully legally responsible no matter what. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site where we post deals for you around the clock. So I don't know if you saw the report I did from CES about the app-based toothbrushes. This is a hot thing now in the marketplace where we generally brush terribly. And it's not just kids. Everybody thinks it's just kids that do a lousy job brushing their teeth. Well, kids particularly do a lousy job, but we as adults do a terrible job. And the consequences of tooth decay can be painful and expensive. So that's why, if you haven't heard me mention this, I want you to know that I expect this to be one of those items that is peddled over the Christmas shopping season, these app-based toothbrush systems where, because think about it, nobody ever knows what to buy a guy at Christmas, right? Or for anything. We're just impossible to buy for. Anyway, so generally, and they vary how they work, but with these app-based toothbrushes, they monitor how you're brushing each time and guide you where you've missed when you're brushing and make sure that you've done a good job thoroughly brushing your teeth because prevention is so much better than being in the dental chair any day of the week. And so this is something that is, when I first reported on it, it was a French company that had developed one, if I remember right, in 2015. And this past January, there were several exhibitors of these app-based toothbrushes. And I expect this will become just routine. The only key is you got to take the time to use it. You know, we have our phones everywhere with us. And so being able to look and make sure you're brushing properly, who knows how much hassle, pain, and expense you'll avoid in the dental chair doing so. Um, My dentist that I go to I chewed my ear off about something I talked about last year that is now becoming more common, and the reason she chewed my ear off is she said, you have no idea how expensive this equipment is. Well, the good news is it's a lot cheaper now than it was when she was upset with me talking about it, and it is 3D crowns, where today... Crowns are still being made the way they've been made for decades. And dentists are migrating bit by bit to crowns that are done while you wait 
and they are precision designed with 3D printing to be uh, nearly perfect for your mouth. I know Dennis will advertise that it's perfect first time and every time, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, they're nearly perfect. And dentists have significant upfront costs going to the 3D printed teeth. But man, it is such an enormous advantage to you as a customer to not have to make that second visit and have one that fits right, right away. And today it's probably, oh, I don't know, 15% of dentists practices, something like that, probably have the 3D uh, tooth printing technology. But as more adopted, it gets steadily cheaper and gets better. And I think we're not far away from where that's how crowns will be done, is they will just be manufactured right in the office and hopefully will be really precise. Jan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jan. Hi, Clark. I just want you to it's imagine so I'm sitting to in, talk to you. Thank you. It's I just wonderful. want you to imagine this, Jan. I'm sitting in the dental chair and you're at such a disadvantage, right? They got all that junk in your mouth and the dentist is talking to me and and uh, you know, she's got all those tools right there. And what are you going to say cuz you can't really <laughs> say much of anything anyway you might can understand. I think we've all been there. <laughs> Well, how can I how can I be of service to you? Because you want to talk about something fun. Yes, I do. Um, Well, my husband and I are going to be celebrating our um, fiftieth wedding anniversary, December twenty seventh. Well, congratulations! That's really exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's wonderful, and we have decided to give ourselves a really, really nice cruise. And it's um, it's very expensive, and we're looking forward to it. It's the places we've always wanted to go. However, um, we've decided we better have some uh, trip insurance, and we've just been stunned at how expensive it is. And I wondered what you had to say on that. So a basic topic. policy will cost you roughly six cents on the dollar of the cost of the cruise. How much is your okay. cruise? Oh, I'm embarrassed to say it's it's more than $25,000 for the two of us. Wow. So you've got a lot to protect. So you're talking about a $1,500 base insurance premium to protect Yeah. That. Well, we it, it was I we've been quoted um, more than $3,000. Well, it all depends on what they cover. So a base policy, one that $1,500 would cover um, in the event that you had an illness or an injury or whatever that prevented you from going on the trip, or if something happened while you were on the trip that was an illness or injury, and that's pretty much what a base policy covers. But you can add uh-huh. all kinds of features to it, but you're getting quotes from humans, is that right? Yes, yes, we are. We're getting a quote from the the company itself. Oh, no, don't ever buy. Okay, that's rule number one. Don't ever buy a travel policy. It won't be real insurance when you get it from a cruise line. 
Okay. You want to buy an independent policy. I, I don't know of exceptions to that. There may be an exception somebody would point out to me, but I'm not aware of one as we're talking. And I would okay, like that's you, very helpful. I'd like you to go to a website called insuremytrip.com. Oh, okay. And on it uh-huh. you'll be able to compare different insurers and different levels of coverage. And you'll be able okay. it's almost like picking from a menu. Uh, okay, we want this, we want this, want this, want this. Oh, we don't really need that. Or we really have to have this other thing. And you're able to uh-huh. figure out what are the features you really need to have and worth paying for and the ones that you really don't need. Are you going to exotic ports or what kind of places? Yes, we are. We, we start in the Holy Land and go um, to Alexandria, Egypt, and up to Istanbul, and then up into um, Philippi and back down through some Greek islands. Okay, so you're going into a part of the world that sometimes has um, disturbances. Mm -hmm. How's that Mm -hmm. a nice way to put it? (laughs) So a lot of times people going to an area that they might um, lose their excitement about the trip because of what may be going on. Um, You Uh know, people are lobbing missiles at each other or whatever you might think yeah maybe this isn't the greatest time to go (laughs) your normal trip policy is not going to cover you but you can buy one that covers cancellation for any reason okay and when you buy one of those you pay more for the policy and then here's the kicker you have to share the cost of the loss usually you eat 25 percent of the cost of the trip and the insurance covers the other 75%. Okay, and that's a, a thing separate from just general trip insurance. Right, but it's part okay. of a policy. It's almost like an additional rider where if the, if the political or, or military, military environment became, security environment became uncomfortable, and that's not going to be an included reason in a normal trip policy, but you're like, mm-hmm. hey, we're not going to go there right now because of what's going on then you at least know you'd get back most of that money okay you'd get back eighteen thousand whatever of what Uh you paid so when you get on insure my trip don't let anybody disturb you while you're looking study all the options and figure out what makes the most sense for you okay oh that's very very helpful thank you so much and congratulations on 50 years and I hope that it is a most memorable, wonderful trip for you. One other thing I'd say with some of the uh, ports you mentioned going, you might want to look at the options for potential medevac if you needed to make sure you got to a really uh, high-quality medical center if something happened to either of you, you you had an injury or something like that. You want to make sure that you are in a position to be able to have the medical care that you might need and the transport that you might require. Tammy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Tammy. I'd like to say listening to your show has um, helped my husband and I become debt-free, and um, we have our mortgage paid off, and now we're just concentrating on our retirement. Doesn't it feel great to owe nobody anything? It's the best. My question today is, um, 
I have a concern about my um, young grandchildren. I have a three-year-old grandson and a two-year-old granddaughter. And um, due to family circumstances, you know, uh, they're they're separated, my daughter and their father. However, um, I do know from past history that the uh, father is less than scrupulous, I guess. No, so I I'm would like sorry. to know what I could do to protect their um, future from, you know, maybe them not stealing their identity because the father has the same name and okay. he's done similar things before. Well, first of all, uh, with an estranged son-in-law that you don't really care for, I really liked how carefully you worded that. Thank you. <laughs> that, was, that was very diplomatically stated. So what, uh, what your daughter can do is actually freeze the credit identity of both of your grandchildren. Okay. And that would prevent, because she would be the one who would, who would know everything about having set the credit freeze in place, that would prevent most aspects of what your estranged son-in-law might do to try to mess with their identities. Okay, and how does she go about doing that? So it's unfortunately a much more complicated process than with an adult freezing his or her credit. An adult can freeze his or her credit with a little bit of effort and about 15 minutes of time, and it's free. It's also free for a minor child, but there are documents that she'll have to send in uh, that prove relationship and that prove the kid's identities. Because okay. usually a child has no electronic identity, no credit identity, and you want you want to make sure that nobody pretending to be them starts doing things as if they are them, and that's what a child credit freeze will do. That is okay. also free and available in all 50 states. Now, um, if you go to our credit freeze guide, we've got some guidance for you about doing it for a child. And there's different documents that Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian require from each other. The greatest suggestion I saw from NerdWallet is just send the documents to all three that encompass what each asks so that none says, oh, you didn't send the blah, blah, blah. And so you paper them over with a blizzard of paper and you'll be good. And that was a great suggestion from NerdWallet. Okay. Well, thank you, Clark. Sure. And this is something your daughter should get on pretty quickly. Oh, yes. That's my feeling, too. Because if you're worried about some ethical issues, um, this needs to be addressed fast, fast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Julius joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Julius. Well, how are you doing, Clark? I'm having a great day, thank you. How about you? Well, not too bad. I hear my shop making sawdust, so everything's all right. Uh, the reason I called, uh, some time back, and it's been a long time ago, that I heard you mention uh, the credit um, the credit card billing cycles. Now, I, I heard the answer at that time, but I, I forgot it, you know, like a lot of other things. Uh, well, I was curious about what is a billing cycle and what advantages are to making a, a payment between those billing cycles. All right, so there's two scenarios where if somebody's running a balance on credit cards, uh-huh. not waiting till the payment due date to make a payment is a massive advantage because oh, really? the interest on a credit card is calculated daily. And oh, so <laughs> every day you get money to the credit card company earlier, the better it's going to be. In fact, there was simple math done by a guy named Mark Eisenson back in the 1990s that yeah. is as true today as it was in the 1990s. And uh-huh. his math found that if you made half a credit card payment every 14 days and kept that up, you would end up out of credit card debt in one-fourth the time it took if you just oh, yeah. paid uh-huh. versus what the credit card company tells you. So that's scenario number one. That it is to your advantage. Are you running balances on any of your credit cards? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got a balance on them. I make a payment every month. All right. So if you step that up and every time you have money, you send it to the credit card company, it will tremendously reduce the total amount of interest you have to pay. Oh, I see. So okay. that, like if well, you made a lot of people use automatic bill pay, and Julius, they'll make a payment every seven days to a credit card uh-huh. they owe money to, uh, or every time mm-hmm. they get paid, they make a payment and start yeah. whittling uh-huh. down on that credit card balance. Even if you pay the same amount per month as you pay now, just getting the money to the credit card company sooner will help you. The other scenario, Julius, I've talked about more recently, is that with a credit card, if you're trying to boost your credit score, paying your bill, if you're one of those people who pays your bill in full every month, paying your bill before the billing cycle closes, before they figure out what they're going to send you the next bill for, will raise your credit score potentially as much as 80 to 100 points just by changing when you get your payment in full to your credit card company. It's crazy, isn't it? You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.